0: Welcome to Created to Reign, a production of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, a Christian Bible-believing ministry dedicated to educating the public and policymakers about biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the poor, and the good news of the rulership of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation of sinners like me with the Holy God by God's free grace alone through His gift of faith alone in the perfect life and atoning death of Christ alone. Most episodes of this podcast focus on environmental and economic issues, usually focusing on current issues in science and policy. Today, I invite you to venture down a different path with me. I want us to consider a common claim among environmentalists, traceable in large part to an essay in Science Magazine in 1967 by medieval historian Lynn White, Jr., that Judaism, and especially Christianity, because they root their beliefs in the creation account in Genesis, which teaches that God instructed mankind to fill, subdue, and rule the earth, have given rise to an ecological crisis. I want to test that claim in a fairly simple way, by answering the question, did early Christians teach respect and appreciation for God's creation, or did they teach disrespect for and abuse of it? I'm going to offer just one source as an example, but it's a particularly important one, because, though never put on a par with Holy Scripture as an authority, it was very widely cited by leading Christians of the 2nd and 3rd centuries— Early Church Fathers, they tend to be called, as expressive of their widely shared beliefs. Many of those 2nd and 3rd century Christians, interestingly enough, cited this source, or rather collection of sources, thinking it was by pre-Christian Greek mystics or prophets, though in fact it came from early Christian oracles or prophets, or rather prophetesses, since they were women. The source I have in mind is called the Sibylline Oracles, And the bit I'm going to share with you today is quoted at length by the early church father and apologist Theophilus, Patriarch of Antioch, from AD 169 to 182. In the second of three books, he wrote to a respected Greek philosopher friend named Autolycus. In that book, Book Two of what is typically referred to simply as To Autolycus, or sometimes Theophilus To Autolycus— Theophilus seeks to persuade Autolycus, his friend, to become a Christian by arguing that, in their wiser moments, the best Greek philosophers, poets, and playwrights taught things that aligned closely with the Christian faith. Among the Greeks Theophilus cited were the standard names of Homer, Hesiod, Plato, Aristotle, Pindar, Euripides, and Sophocles, among others, but the most extensive quote he offers— fills almost the whole of chapter 36 of Book 2, and it is from one of the Sibylline Oracles. It is especially interesting to me vis-à-vis White's claim that Christianity teaches disrespect for nature, because it clearly represents very widespread thought among early Christians. Here is what Theophilus quoted from the Iambic Pentameter, translated into English by Marcus Dodds. How are ye still so quickly lifted up, and how so thoughtless of the end of life, ye mortal men of flesh, who are but naught? Do ye not tremble, nor fear God most high? Your overseer, the knower, seer of all, whoever keeps those whom his hand first made, puts his sweet spirit into all his works, and gives him for a guide to mortal men. There is one only uncreated God who reigns alone, all-powerful, very great, from whom is nothing hid. He sees all things, himself unseen by any mortal eye. Can mortal man see the immortal God, or fleshly eyes which shun the noontide beams look upon him who dwells beyond the heavens? Worship him, then— the self-existent God, the unbegotten ruler of the world, who only was from everlasting time, and shall to everlasting still abide. Of evil counsels ye shall reap the fruit, because ye have not honored the true God, nor offered to him sacred hecatombs. To those who dwell in Hades ye make gifts, and unto demons offer sacrifice. In madness and in pride ye have your walk, and leave the right way, ye wander wide, and lose yourselves in pitfalls and in thorns. Why do ye wander thus, O foolish men? Cease your vain wanderings in the black, dark night. Why follow darkness and perpetual gloom, when, see, There shines for you the blessed light. Lo, he is clear. In him there is no spot. Turn then from darkness and behold the day. Be wise and treasure wisdom in your breasts. There is one God who sends the winds and rains, the earthquakes and the lightnings and the plagues, the famines and the snowstorms and the ice, and all the woes that visit our sad race. Nor these alone, but all things else he gives, ruling omnipotent in heaven and earth, and self existent from eternity. If all things that are born must also die, God cannot be produced by mortal man. And then come these words, particularly relevant to the charge by White and other environmentalists that Christianity fails to appreciate nature and instead promotes its abuse. But there is only one, the All-Supreme, who made the heavens with all their starry host, the sun and moon, likewise the fruitful earth, with all the waves of ocean and the hills, the fountains, and the ever-flowing streams. He also made the countless multitude of ocean creatures, and he keeps alive all creeping things, both of the earth and sea, and all the tuneful choir of birds he made— which cleave the air with wings, and with shrill pipe trill forth that mourn their tender, clear-voiced song. Within the deep glades of the hills he placed a savage race of beasts, and unto men he made all cattle subject, making man, the God-formed image, ruler over all, and putting in subjection to his sway things many and incomprehensible." Then the sibyl turns to correcting those who fail to recognize either God, the All-Supreme, or man, the God-formed image, ruler over all, because instead they fall into idolatry. For who of mortals can know all these things? He only knows who made them at the first, He the Creator, incorruptible, who dwells in upper air eternally, who proffers to the good most rich rewards, and against evil and unrighteous men rouses vengeance and wrath and bloody wars and pestilence and many a tearful grief. O man exalted vainly, say why thus hast thou so utterly destroyed thyself? Have ye no shame worshipping beasts for gods, and to believe the gods should steal your beasts, or that they need your vessels? Is it not frenzy's most profitless and foolish thought? Instead of dwelling in the golden heavens, ye see your gods become the prey of worms, and hosts of creatures noisome and unclean. O fools! Ye worship serpents, dogs, and cats, birds, and the creeping things of earth and sea, images made with hands, statues of stone, and heaps of rubbish by the wayside placed. All these and many more vain things ye serve, worshipping things disgraceful even to name. These are the gods who lead vain men astray, from whose mouth streams of deadly poison flow. And then, echoing the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, she calls them to repent of worshipping the creature rather than the Creator, lest they face his judgment. But unto him in whom alone is life, life and undying everlasting light, who pours into man's cup of life a joy sweeter than sweetest honey to his taste, Unto him bow the head, to him alone, and walk in ways of everlasting peace. Forsaking him, ye all have turned aside, and in your roving folly drained the cup of justice quite unmixed, pure, mastering, strong. And ye will not again be sober men, ye will not come into a sober mind, and know your God and King who looks on all. Therefore upon you burning fire shall come, and ever ye shall daily burn in flames, ashamed forever of your useless gods. But those who worship the eternal God, they shall inherit everlasting life, inhabiting the blooming realms of bliss and feasting on sweet food from starry heaven." That these things are true and useful and just and profitable to all men is obvious, says Theophilus in conclusion. What the Sibyl and Theophilus and the Christian church through the centuries have recognized is that we shall only rightly appreciate and use the natural world, God's creation, if we keep things in proper order recognizing first, God as uncreated, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, immortal, the all-supreme. And second, under him, man, the God-formed image, ruler over all, to whom God subjected all other things. And third and finally, under man, the countless multitude of ocean creatures, creeping things, birds, and everything else on earth. Failing to do that, people inevitably reverse the order, putting nature above humanity, humanity autonomous, self-ruled, not subject to the rule of God, and thus making God irrelevant. That way, says Paul, lie folly, madness, and all kinds of wickedness. Far from teaching disrespect for nature, Christianity teaches us to see it as the beautiful handiwork of the immortal God, the arena in which man represents God, ruling nature as its steward, seeking, as we at the Cornwall Alliance often put it, to enhance its fruitfulness, its beauty, and its safety, to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors, and thus seeking to fulfill the two great commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. Keep this in mind the next time you hear someone blame Christianity for ecological abuse. The truth, as ecological history tells—a subject for another episode—is the opposite. It is societies in which Christianity has had its greatest influence that best steward the natural world. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and share it with your friends by word of mouth and via social media— Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever platform you use. Remember, the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation is a non-profit ministry. All gifts are tax-deductible. To support our work, you can give online at cornwallalliance.org slash donate. Until next time—